part of it is this is the selection of customers we you know we we, we don't understand our ideal customer profile that well and i'd much rather focus on a hundred well-selected customers where I know they're the right size, the right type of company, they would likely to have the problems. And then once I've gone through them, maybe move on to more. But I'd much rather do that than try and focus, if you can focus on a thousand customers or, or prospects or two thousand. I think you're much better off really tightening the criteria by which you choose your targets and then going for them and, get, and, and, and understanding them. Again, it depends upon what you sell, but to, to a large extent. And the other thing you've got to be careful with senior executive, with taking your own senior executives in is they don't, they don't go rogue. You know, if you, do under, if you do understand the customer, you have done your research, you've looked at their annual reports, you've, you've, you understand where they are and everything, and you've got a particular objective, you've got to be sure that, they, that, that your senior executive you know, doesn't go off in, and, and, and um, go in a totally different direction. You've got to brief them well, which means you've got to understand what you're doing, what the potential customers do. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Steve Hall. Steve is a leading expert at selling to the C-level. And in this conversation from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, Steve and I are talking about just that, how to sell to the C-level and why, like sales everywhere, that is changing. So we start by getting into what really has changed about selling into the C-level and what you need to do to become more effective at this. Then we explore the evolving role of those in the C-level in enterprise decision-making and talk about the things that you need to understand are most important to them before your meetings and, and understand what the things are that really aren't that important to them. We also dive into how to prepare for C-level meetings so that the executives feel that these meetings were a valuable use of their time and help them move the deal forward. Uh, Steve also shares his best practices for how to research and prepare for a call, how to conduct meetings with C-level executives, and how to schedule follow-up meetings. And then we also get into, and this is a really important topic, is when is the right time to start selling to the C-level? So lots of great practical takeaways today. Before we get to Steve, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also leave us a rating or review, give us some feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Steve Hall, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. And you're joining us from Sydney today? Sydney, Australia. That's right. Middle of summer. It you is said pretty it was warm. It is warm today, so how warm is warm? Uh, it's, it's warm. It's not stinking hot. So in centigrade, it was. It's going to be about twenty-seven. So that's not horrible. Warm. No, but but it, it, it's it's also quite humid today. Got it. Got it. But you're it's like rain humid. No, no, no. It's just sometimes you know sometimes we get a bit of humidity. It's it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm whinging. I'm, I'm, I'm a pom, so I'm entitled to whinge. Um, <laughs> and and, um, and it's going to be a beautiful day today. We've got thunderstorms later, I believe. An Englishman, for somebody who's not accustomed to the term palm. Yeah, I remember being in Sydney once uh, years ago on business with one of the most incredible lightning storms I'd ever experienced. Uh, I was sitting in my hotel room. You know, it happened, I guess it was later in the day, and it was it was big. It was spectacular. Yeah, we, we do. We, we get a fair bit of great lightning storms. We're lucky. We don't get hurricanes or many or earthquakes, or we had one. But we do. We don't tend to get very extreme weather. But the thunderstorms can be uh, quite fun. And the fires. Oh yeah, we get a lot of those. Unfortunately, when a lot, yeah. lot of them, a lot of them from the lightning strikes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, 
Well, good. Well, we're going to talk about uh, selling to the C-suite or selling at the C-level. So a lot of the work you do is revolved around that. So the C-level means a lot of different things. I mean, it's so in your work, do you focus on selling the C-level at more at the enterprise or for small and mid-sized companies or, or all? Well, I'm going to give you my catch-all um, answer for any sales questions, which is it depends. It depends on... <laughs> It depends on the client. It depends upon um, what you sell. It depends upon who you sell it to. It can be anything from the CEO of a major public corporation down to the owner of a $10 million business. Um, And in a public corporation, C-level might not be the people at the top because if you're, for instance, if I was selling to – to Amazon here in Australia, I'd probably be looking at the country manager rather than Jeff Bezos. Mm. Yeah, it'd probably be a better better approach to take. Um, so, well, we'll get back to what the difference is between selling to the small versus the, the enterprise. But but in, in this age of sort of distributed, more distributed authority and supposedly more stakeholders involved in decisions, what's what's different about selling to the C level? Well, I mean, one thing for one thing, they're much easier to find. You know, if you if you if you're trying to sell to an organisation and you want to sell to the uh, IT manager or the uh, or a potato department, they're, they're much less out there in terms of public statements. Uh, much they're much more challenging to find. Whereas you know, it's pretty easy to know work out who the CEO, the CFO, the COO are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. And the other thing is they tend to. Um, look at value from a strategic perspective. So you, you, you're looking at selling strategically at that level, whereas mm-hmm. people lower down tend to be more transactional and operational. So again, sometimes you need to sell transactionally. So it depends what you sell and who you sell it to. Right. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and I think this is sort of a critical question as to what level you should sell at. Because, yeah, there has been for years. I mean, you, <laughs> I think you and I are somewhat contemporaries in terms of when we came into the sales game and so on is is there was always this huge emphasis of selling into the c-suite you had to sell into the sweet suite all the time is that really the case no no it doesn't say it depends yeah. what you sell if you if, if 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 you're selling something that's worth then you know that's hundred thousand dollars there'll be people different people have different levels of authority uh, the 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 level to which you should sell is the person who has the ability to say yes or no um, when on, on, at approval level. How do you determine that? Because this is, I think, a, a challenge for a lot of people. Because I, I agree, is and I've written about this in my books, is, is I've tried to provide a sort of easy, <laughs> easy uh, way for people to sort of decide or determine, let's say, who they should be selling to. What, what's your rule? How do you help people determine where they should sell? Well, I mean, you look, you've, got to look, you've got to look at where you sell. You've got to look at the people who benefit most from what you sell. You've got to look at the type of company and the specific companies. When I say type of company, I mean, you can talk about a bank, but there's a, there's a local regional bank that might be doing you know, a few hundred million, and then there's a massive bank that could be doing billions. So it's the type of – it's the specific business. Um, and you've got to look at who, uh, to use a technical expression, has their balls on the line if things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of, all, all of those come into it. So there's, uh, the, the, one of the problems we have in sales, I was actually right, reading your, your interview with um, Mike Weinberg, and I thought it was excellent. And, and one of the things that um, we have a problem with in sales is people make these broad brush statements as if 
this rule applies to everybody in the world. And it doesn't. <laughs> no, you know? it never does, as a matter of fact. Yeah. But this is so, but isn't this this is such a trend in sales these days, though? Is, look, we're gonna create a persona about you know, our series of personas, then these represent you know who we're supposed to sell to, and we're always supposed to sell the same way to these people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's bullshit. I mean the the the, the but look, having a persona is better than not having a persona. Sure. But, the fact it, but the fact is, a persona is not a person. And I liken the these um, track the buyer's journey and um, you send different things at different stages of the buyer's journey. That's like a, using an electronic sheepdog to try and herd electronic people down a particular path. <laughs> I love the analogy. That's great. <laughs> uh, and it, it doesn't work because people are people. And and and, and even right. within, we, you know, we talk about the buyer's journey as if there was such a thing. I mean, as if there was a defined buyer's journey and you go and you work for um, Facebook and you say, well, in Facebook, our buyer's journey is this. There's no such thing as the buyer's journey. There's the how do we solve this problem journey? Mm-hmm. And that involves a lot of different people in an organization. And they all have different viewpoints. They all have different things that they focus on, the things that are important to them. And they all move at dif- a different pace. So yep. if, it's a, if, it's a, if there's a journey, it's, it's more like a riot than a journey. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you remember the, the uh, diagram Gartner put in their buyer enablement study about the buyer journey, it was, it was uh, which they denominated by jobs that need to be achieved not you know specific process per se but yeah it was it was helter skelter all over in terms of the where the the flow chart float yeah and 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 it's and it different people progress at different rates and miss out steps you know no one no one sits down with a gartner chart and says okay this is the journey we're going to follow no well you can't it's not a straight line anyway yeah yeah they start off. They start off saying, "Okay, we've got a problem, and it's it's in it or, or, or an opportunity, and we've got a problem that's a big enough priority for us to have to do something about it because we've got thousands of problems. But which ones do we actually care about that we want mm-hmm. to do something about?" And then they say, "Okay, what what I call a generic approach are we going to take?" And I usually, always use the example of um, a, a very typical problem: we're not making enough profit. That's a pretty high level. Sea level sure. problem, isn't it? Okay, how many different potential ways are there to solve that problem? I mean, there's thousands, mm-hmm. you know. So, so they say, okay, what's the cause of this problem? And it might be that our goods, our products are useless, or we charge too much, or we don't charge enough, or we haven't got enough customers, or or our expenses are too high. There's a heap of different things that it could, that that could cause that problem. Yes, and, and a combination not, of those things. Yes, ex- exactly. And it's not until they say, okay, well, this is the key thing that we can do to um, to solve that problem. And that key thing that can, could be, okay, we need to sell more. Simple as that. How do you solve that problem? Well, again, you sack salespeople or you hire salespeople or you do a heap of other stuff. And then eventually they come down and say, okay, well, the specific um, solution, the specific part of the specific problem is we need to buy an AI solution, right? And at that stage, they bring in, bring in the minions, as I call them, and they say, okay, we're going to look at AI solutions. Go out and do your research, Right. And they go out and do the research, and they come back and they say, we've talked to these people and we've looked at what's out there and this is what it's going to cost us. And when they've gone through that entire heap of stuff, you eventually get a qualified lead. But a qualified lead is the end result of a process, not the beginning of a process. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I, I agree 100%. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just smiling here to myself because I, li- I like what you're saying. Yeah, so so you know, if you're out there looking for qualified leads, I did some work a while back for one of the largest software companies in the world, um, and they said to me, "Look, we want to get into senior executives." They didn't really know why or how or anything. It was just you know, 
we'd, we'd work for one of their partners. We've got them a heap of meetings with some, mm-hmm. some, some high-level executives. They say, hey, how come we can't do this? So I said, pick a, you know, pick a, um, an, an industry, a niche. And they said, okay, well, how about travel and entertainment? And I said, travel? Okay, what's that? Oh, airlines and theme parks and, um, and hotel chains. And I said, you do know that hotels don't think they're theme parks. You know, they're actually different industries. Um, but anyway, we, we came to an agreement. We t- targeted a particular industry. We got them a, a heap of meetings. But they didn't really know what to do with them because they didn't want to talk to senior executives to build a relationship to understand their strategies and then to work out how they could help them. They wanted people who were looking for a customer satisfaction solution right now and, and then. Right. So, you know, so if you, if you, if you are going to sell at sea level, you need to be thinking strategically and you probably need to be thinking long term. Because the, if, if you've got a target market of, I mean, you know, it's different in the States. In here in Australia, we've got you know, a couple of hundred really big companies. But if, you, if you're targeting a particular type of customer, your ideal customer, then only a small percentage of them are going to be looking for what you sell or are going to have problems that you can solve at any one time. Right. So what do you, so what do, you do with the rest? Do you say, oh, well, we're not going to sell to them? Or do you actually get to talk to them, get to understand their problems, nurture them until at such stages they do have the problems or the problems get annoying enough that they have to do something about it? And my preference is to... Is, is to focus on the customer rather than looking for the people who happen to be looking for what you're selling right at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, focus on accounts, not leads. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's building, to your point, I mean, in Australia, but it's, I think it's true if you're selling into any sort of you know, target market that's going to have sort of a finite number of accounts that you sell to, especially in larger companies, is, yeah, you don't talk to them only when – They've got a problem. Well, absolutely, because I mean, first of all, they've got lots of problems. Depending on what you're selling, it comes back to it depends. There's probably lots of problems you can help solve. Um, the question is, when one of those gets to a stage where it's important enough, then you know you need to be there. I, when, when I got my first sales job, I was 42 when I got my first proper sales job, and the guy right. used to work. Yeah, yeah, the guy used before. To, Oh gosh! I spent um, until I was about um, twenty-seven. I took drugs and, sm- and drank a lot, and then um, and did lots of odd jobs. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've worked manual labouring, picking fruit, cutting metal, all sorts of things. And then I worked as a medical rep, which isn't really selling because you're detailed. You, you know, you're, right. you, there's no prospect or anything. Uh, and then I came here, and um, I actually applied to IBM for a sales job, and I passed all their tests. But then they asked about my visa, and I only had a, only had a holiday visa, so. I ended up, <laughs> So I ended up going to Burroughs, as it was then, and uh, they didn't ask. And they put, they put me in as a salesperson, but I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And after six months, I said, Steve, you're a really bad salesperson, but you're quite smart. We'll move you into support. And so I became a support person, then a project manager, then a program manager, then a professional services manager, and then I moved into marketing. So I'd been through all that, and it wasn't until I was 42 that I moved into sales. Interesting. Yeah, I started working at Burroughs, too. That was my first job, my first sales oh, well, job. Well, there you go. Yeah, I knew there's something I liked about you. <laughs> so anyway, what how, how do we go into that? I've lost track. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but let me so but let me ask a question. Is is given sort of the the way decision making? Well, we were talking about the buyer's journey, but I, I we'll segue into this as but and we'll get back into it. Is is are you finding that the role of the C level person is it more often a decider or an approver 
Um, it's usually a decider. Uh, sorry, usually, usually an approver, but they also okay. initiate the process. So, you know, if you if you get a meeting with a senior uh, with a senior level executive to discuss a problem they've got, they're not going to sit down and listen to you say, "Well, that's wonderful. Here's a check for twenty million dollars." They're going to they're going to say, "Okay, we need to make sh- we need proof it works. We need references. We need to see how it's going to work. We need to talk about implementation and training, depending on what you're selling." Um, and they're going to send you off or your people off to talk to their people, but they initiate the journey and they finish the journey. So that's where you need to be talking to them. So selling at sea level is it's it should probably be starting to sell at sea level, which probably describes it better. Yeah, I was going to ask that question because yeah, I think there's a a time, and but also I think that then we'll get back to this one point is I also think it's possible sometimes where you shouldn't sell to the sea level, uh, but we'll come back to that one. So so about timing because this is this is one that. I hear a lot people talk about a lot is, is yeah, what's the right time to talk to the C level? You're saying start at the beginning. And I think ideally that's true. But if, if you can't make that happen, what's our, you know, in the process, where do you see that as being maybe the second most optimal spot? Well, I mean, you need to get to the C level. If, if the C level is involved in, will be involved in making a decision on whether to go ahead, because the C level basically has four, four options. They can go ahead with you. Go ahead with somebody else, do it themselves, or not do it at all. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the options that look at in the C-suite. Um, if they, and, and as I said, they, they normally initiate the, initiate the process. If, if we're talking high-value um, deals, where it's you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of money. So they initiate the process. If you can talk to them, then great. You, but you, I mean, you, you have no real control over the time. You might be able to shift their timeframes a little bit by doing a bit of challenging or by giving them some idea of the benefits of doing things sooner rather than later. But you can't really make a huge difference as to when they have the problems that they have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're, if you're targeting a particular group of companies and you want to get into one company where you think they're likely to have issues you can help them with um, – if you start at sea level, if you can start at sea level, it's not always possible. If you can start at sea level, then the timing is what the timing is. And if mm. they're halfway through the process, then they're halfway through the process. And if they're not ready to start yet, then the question comes, okay, what do I do now? Do I get, a, get an introduction to the people lower down who are dealing with this problem? Do I nurture, the, nurture someone um, until such time as they've got a problem? Every situation is different. But in terms of timing, they set the timing. You don't. Yeah, and I was just talking about timing to to connect with the sea level. I, I think it's to your point. I think it's always the time, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. if you have a, a targeted group of accounts to build those connections, start having those conversations. Um, you know, it's 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 funny. I've you know been in situations where working with clients where like the sea level on on the client side, had an opportunity to meet with C-Level on the potential customer side. They're my client. And they were reluctant to because they thought it was like premature. And I'm like, no, 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 no. When you have the opportunity to make these connections, you always want to make these connections. Absolutely. Because Gosh. it's not about the opportunity. It's about <laughs> being there, building the connection, building credibility uh, as a potential source that they want to talk to when the moment arises. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the biggest sales I made, the um, the COO of a eight billion dollar company in the in the states or UK actually, um, wanted to meet the president of our company, not 
to look at how the software works or anything, but to look him in the eye and say, will you support us if we get in, in, in trouble? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, at, the, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's still about relationships. I'm not saying you can, people will buy with, off you because you've got a good relationship, but they won't, well, they shouldn't buy off you if you haven't got a good relationship um, because that's a huge part of making things work, especially in complex sales where there's, you need goodwill and you, you need cooperation between buyer and seller. Yeah. I mean, all those things, yeah, AI, machine learning, all these things notwithstanding, which are useful, and it almost sounds like a cliche, but it, it, it's funny, is I feel increasingly like I have to say it, is that sales is a people business. And the quality of the interaction you have with another human being is still could be the decisive factor in their decision. You know, yeah, that, absolutely. That, I mean, everybody thinks in this data-driven world that – well, it's all about the data. It's all about you know. It's like, yeah, it's all about the data until there's risk involved, you know, perception of risk, and at that point, people want to talk to people. Well, you know as well as I do, people make the emotion, make emotional decisions. They and they and and back them up using logic. Um, so you know, if if the logic says do this and your heart says do that, you either do nothing or else you go with your heart in most cases. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was um, just wanted to, I'd had a thing I'd, device I'd created about how to determine where in the organization you should sell. And it was just a little simple quadrant chart um, with an X axis and a Y axis. So there's four quadrants. And the X axis was the strategic importance of what you're selling, and the Y axis was cost and complexity. And I would just have clients and salespeople plot, okay, where does this opportunity sit? Because if it sits in the upper right-hand corner, then you better be talking pretty high in the organization. You know, If you're in the no. lower left corner, it's going to be more transactional. And it's just a, it was a simple device for a seller to visualize, oh, well, yeah, I guess we're not calling at the right level. We need to be higher up. Yeah, well, I like I like simple. I mean, you know, sim- simple is good. And I, I mean, if you, if you're talking to the C level, you're talking strategy. Period. They don't care about the implementation, or they don't know about the implementation. They don't know about the technology. They don't know about the bits and the bytes, or the or, wh- or whatever it is. And they don't want to. They leave that to other people. But what they want to know is: this is this strategic? How is this value? How is this going to help me achieve my KPIs and my bonus? And they're, and and they're based around financial metrics, the balance sheet, the profit and uh, profit and loss statement, uh, regulatory requirements, risk, safety. Um, they're, they're, the, they're the things that they care about at, at, at sea level. Um, yeah. The nuts and bolts they care about much further down. And they, you, you need to address the nuts and bolts. You can't ignore them. But if you're talking sea level, you're talking strategy. Well, I think it's an interesting point because I was, you know, as I was sort of reading through some of your things and, and thinking about it, is, is yeah, you know, what are the things that sea level care about? And you just mentioned some of those. But also, getting back to a point we talked about earlier, you have to ask yourself, well, why, why does a C-level exec agree to meet with a seller? Right? I mean, on one hand, they could just talk to their, their staff right, internally who's involved in more of the nuts and bolts as you talked about it. So what do they want to hear from the seller that they can't learn or haven't learned from their internal people? Um, well, my, my mate Jacques Schemas in, in, in Paris, he says that um, – 
they actually like speaking to good salespeople because they're a free resource. And until such time you, as you spend money, and their salespeople can help them solve problems with ideas and viewpoints and, and, and offerings that they're not aware of. So there are benefits to the C-level person speaking to someone that can teach them something they don't know, give them insights they don't have, talk about approaches they haven't thought about. But the number of people that are actually capable of doing that is relatively low. Yeah, I think Gartner had a survey a few years ago saying that you know, roughly 80% of C-level execs that they found little to no value in meeting with sellers. Yeah, well, the same survey, well, I think it was Forrester, actually, the same survey also, okay. showed that, also said that 80% of salespeople thought that they had a huge value. <laughs> uh, and there's the rub, <laughs> right? Indeed. That's, that's right. Well, so the, if you're a seller and, and you want to become the strategic salesperson, is to be able to sell at the C-level – yeah, how do you assess where you where you stand, right? I mean, it's it's because it's not like we train people how to do this. I think in a very effective fashion, and so a lot of it's you got to take it on yourself. I, I imagine you did. I know I I had yeah some good mentors, but largely was driven by wanting to be more effective in those settings. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I, I was fortunate, as I told you, I didn't really start in sales until I was 42. So I'd, I'd had a huge amount of experience working with senior executives from an implementation perspective when I was in support, from a marketing perspective. Um, so I understood, I didn't understand, I wasn't very good at sales, but I understood business. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I worked in a lot of jobs on the shop floor. So I understood business from a perspective of the person working on the shop floor, right. from, from middle management, because I'd been a middle manager, and also from executive management, because I'd worked out with a lot of executives. And I think, you know, I don't think you can take someone straight out of, um, well, I've, got, I've got a friend that, you know, the, you know the model with um, the big consulting firms where they have the, the silver hair like us goes it goes in and sells something, and they, they wheel in the twenty-four-year-old um, MBAs right. to, to, to do the work. And, um, right. and my, my, my mate John Quinn calls them IROX, idiots right out of college. And um, <laughs> and I'm writing, um, I'm writing that down, by the way. And they well, you're recording this anyway. And and they um, well, I, I was one, and we were all were we all were idiots right out of college. Yeah, that's that's right. And and and, and people like that can't they, they can go in and spout all the latest management theories and things like that, which are based upon totally irrelevant um, uh, case studies of companies that are nothing like the one they're talking to. But in ter- to be able to talk intelligently business to a senior executive, you've got to be vaguely intelligent and know a little bit about business. And you also need to be able to have the capability of putting yourself in the shoes of the person you're speaking to. That's one of the most important and least understood skills of a salesperson, looking at things from your customer's perspective. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't just take someone straight out of college and say, okay, we're going to turn you into a, a C-level salesperson in a few weeks. Um, you can certainly do training that gives them an idea of the key Issues that keep. I wrote something on LinkedIn the other day. I said, you know, we, we, we focus far too much on product knowledge and far too little on problem knowledge. Uh, and you need to understand the problems that your product solves rather than the product itself. I mean, you need to understand both, but the problem is more important. Oh, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, I think that that this is this is a, a huge gap that we have in how we develop sellers because, yeah, I see very few instances, if any. Uh, especially over the last five, ten years, of companies that are consciously trying to develop 
the business knowledge or the business acumen of their sellers. And yeah, there's certainly we're going to you know, do some sales training or we'll make some courses available, but there's this gap that exists. And, and so I was thinking back and I've asked a number of people on the show about it. And, and it sounds like your experience is, is maybe similar to mine is, is that's that knowledge you have to acquire yourself by being curious and asking questions to make sure you understand what people are telling you. That's what I learned. I, I started my career, as I said, selling boroughs, selling computer systems to small and mid-sized companies. I was almost always dealing with the CEOs or owners of the business. And I was just curious about how business operated. So I had this great tutorial because, yeah, they would spend time. I'd ask questions, not necessarily about what I was selling at all, but about their business and so on. And that's how I learned. Absolutely, I learned how Kant's pebble worked by spending by by working through the night until um, until five in the morning because um, one of my clients' accounts pebble didn't balance, so we had to go in using these tools where you actually physically change the the, the files so everything mm-hmm. matched. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, that, and that that, you know, that that gave me a pretty good understanding of accounts pebble. <laughs> yeah, well, if you remember back in the early days, or well, not early days of Burroughs, but early days when I was there, yeah, we were. So we would actually program the computers for the the customer. I mean, I wrote payroll routines and accounts receivable routines that they use to, uh, you know, bill people and, and collect their money. Yeah, and so you, had to, you could only do that if you understood what was happening. Well, there were no packages in those days, of course. That was before the package software, right? Not that we're that old, but yeah, yes, <laughs> not, 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 not as many. So, but so, so you need to, so to, to, to me, I look, I've got heaps of books on sales. I've got some great books on sales, but to me, the, what's more important is understanding business and understanding people. So a lot of the books I've got are on psychology, on people, mm-hmm. on things, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people now think, oh, we can teach you a process uh, and we run the numbers. I mean, one of the things I absolutely test is this management by numbers. Um, and, you know, if you make if you make a thousand calls dials and you and you a day and you get through to 20 people and you have a conversation with 10 of them and you get one lead and that means we should make everyone should make you know a thousand dials a day calls, right yeah and that's that that sounds logical but it's false logic because first of all um you're calling the wrong people probably but secondly that potentially could work if you're the only person in the world doing it but when 50,000 other people are doing it also to the same people. The recipient of those calls get hundreds of calls a day from 12-year-old um, SDRs that, you know, that wouldn't know business if it bit them on the bum. Well, it, it, when you hear things written about or hear people talk about just how busy and how much digital clutter there is out there with buyers, the fact is, yeah, we've created it. Right through the tools that have that enable people to make a thousand calls and to send hundred emails a day or fifty emails a day or whatever the number the volume is, <laughs> it's somewhat ironic that yeah they've got a lot of crap in their inbox because hey we've sent it absolutely and and the thing is that you know you you know how do you get people to read your email oh, cute headlines or sending it send it send a, a cadence you use a LinkedIn message then an email then a phone call blah blah and that just that just exacerbates the problem um, but but on the other hand if you know what you're doing it's it's an, a, an opportunity because if you do what everybody else doesn't you stand out mm-hmm. and if I mean I'm you know, I don't do it very often but if you write, if you write them a letter how many people send letters these days I mean, my, yes. yeah, my, yeah my, my, my preference to, if I want to get onto a CEO 
I call the executive assistant and say, hey, I want to speak to, I want to, speak to Fred. What do I do? And they'll say, oh, well, can you send me an email? And I'll say, sure, and I'll send them an email. And I know they're going to read it because they just asked me to send it. Right. I mean, that's the easiest way to get someone to read an email. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Is, is, so what is the key to getting meetings with the senior executives besides sending a letter? Well, the key is the key is having something that they care about, right? If you if 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 there's if there's no good reason why they should want to speak to you, why are you bothering in the first place, right? But let's assume that they, they potentially have a problem that you th- think you can help them with. You've looked at their 10K or you've looked at what they said mm-hmm. in the in the in the press, and you know that one of their strategic objectives or one of their risk factors is is this, and you think you can help, right? Mm-hmm. So you need two things. You need a message, which will make them want to talk to you, and you need, a, you need a way to get it to them. And the message depends on the circumstances, but it could be, you know, we want to help you, um, we, we want to help you reduce the risk in your automotive department, for instance, or also increase the, in, 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 reduce the um, downtime on your, on your machines or whatever it might be for that particular customer. Um, that's the message. And then the, the way of getting it to them, I hate to say this, but depends. Um, but certainly it's not going to work with a, a, a cold email. Um, I, I still like the phone. I'm sorry. Most senior executives, I said earlier, it's the C, mm-hmm. C-level executives are easier because most of them have executive, executive assistants. Right. So if you call the EA and you simply say, Oh, hi, this is Steve. Um, I saw in your, your your annual report says blah blah, and we think we can help you. Can I? Can we? Can we organize a call? And, and you don't ask for a half. You don't ask them to go to your calendly schedule and, and, and schedule it themselves because they've got better things to do. You right. say, you know, you, you basically say, can I, I just want ten minutes. You don't, you don't ask for an hour because you know an hour of a CEO's time is worth you know fifty thousand dollars. You ask them for ten minutes. And if you can't persuade them in 10 or if you can't persuade them in 10 minutes that you're worth a further hour down, down the track i always use the analogy of boating do you sail at all um no no neither do i but i did learn to <laughs> sail on the charles when i was in boston on my way here but okay. if you if you if you want to get a rope between two boats you know one of those really big thick hawsers i think they call them you can't pick that up and chuck it so what you do you tie a bit of string to it and you uh, to a, bit, a bit of rope to it and you tie a bit, a bit of string to the rope and you tie a stone to the bit of string and you chuck the stone over and they pull in the string then they pull in the rope then they pull in the hawser mm. uh, in other words you do little bits you don't try and go from being a total stranger to getting a one-hour meeting in in, in in one one fell swoop you do it a little bit at a time you get them interested enough to read see listen to your message you get them in, curious enough to want to talk to you for five, ten minutes, and then in that five, ten minutes, you tell them enough, listen, ask the right questions, so that then they, you then get a, a longer meeting. I think it's a, a great metaphor for it. Is is yes, is people are so impatient these days, and I mean, maybe not these days. I mean, it's sort of been true in general, depending on the the personality of the individual. But yeah, if you want to be a strategic seller, if you want to sell. To a large enterprise, it's an investment, and you're investing in the connection you're going to make with someone. You're investing in being able to develop credibility and trust, so that yeah, this person whose time is valued at fifty thousand dollars an hour will give you more of it. Absolutely. I mean, I look. I, I was lucky. I learned this because the first sales job I got was selling ERP systems, and um, you know mm-hmm. that's not that's not something that's you, that you can sell quickly. You know, it, you know, it, it's very much a timing issue, yep. and um, 
when I took over in charge of sales and marketing after a few years, I, we made a decision to focus on a f- couple of fairly narrow niches because we were a small Aussie company. We only had 20. 15 people when I joined them and we were competing with the, you know, the, the SAPs and Oracles of the day, you know, you I right. remember B, remember B picks and things like that. Um, and they were, big American, bit, yeah. they were big American corporations or European corporations, with lots of people. So no one was going to pick us, um, on, you know, for, for our size or for our, 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 references so we had to have an edge and the edge was we understood a couple of niches very very well and one was publishing and one was consumer electronics so i understood mm-hmm. the industry i understood the problems and i had but the, the market here's not that big and we went we went international and we sold a lot right. overseas but but in australia there's only probably a hundred companies that could buy it and they weren't buying an erp every year so i had to take a long-term view i had to write letters in those days to people about business issues and sometimes i'd write a letter on returns management or on or on um, on handling rebates in um, in consumer electronics just talking about the issues and you know and things like that and sometimes people would call me two years later and say oh i got you i kept your letter for two years can you come and see us mm-hmm. because in that particular circumstance, then you know you've you've, you've got to sure you've got to sell something to you've got to make your quota and sell something today, but you've also got to plan for the future. And unfortunately, with the high turnover of salespeople and of sales managers these days, there's not that much of it because who knows if you're going to be there in a year's time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was always bad. It's gotten worse, right? I mean, especially from a customer's perspective, right? I mean, it's it's I, mean, I can tell stories from 30 years ago that customers were complaining about how frequently salespeople turned over. But I think the thing that's that's more pronounced these days is that there's no continuity at the senior level, and that turns over so quickly. Absolutely, and, and, and let's face it, it's destructive to the vendors too. Because when a salesperson leaves, they take with them their relationships, their contacts. Um, you know, they haven't really put stuff in the in, into the CRM the way they should have done. And there's a heap that walks out of the door with them every time. And so, you know, it's incredibly short sighted to get rid of someone after a year when they haven't done made their quota. If they've started to build those relationships and build the um, and 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 build that knowledge but we're not measuring those things you know we're measuring activity are they making enough calls are they doing enough proposals yeah well no that that is generally true that that mindset's changed quite a bit you know let me i wanted to ask you a question because one i i hear frequently from sellers or you know read people writing about on linkedin as well as so let's say you're a strategic salesperson you've got uh you know this initial 10 minute meeting with a C-level exec somewhere on a count that seems like they're pretty strategic. When do you? When's the right time to bring in your senior level person? Well, that's a good question. I've not been asked that one before, but I think it's a very good question. And I'm going to say it depends again, of course. Mm, of course, yeah. Um, but I, I, th- I think I think that it's not a it's not a bad idea to bring them in up front. If depending on the relationship, I I, I had. One uh, customer who, who their senior executive wouldn't get involved in sales, and I, I left because, it, you know, you, you know, you know all these people. You're on the same board that you won't get involved in sales. This is stupid, you know. Right. So, so, I, so I, I think early is good because it's not like they're going to go in there and try and sell. They're going to go in there and say, as a company, we're committed to helping you as a company. And if we and if we end up, but if we end up um, working together and we become your customers, you can call me if things go wrong. I'm there to back you up. That's what they're. That's what they're, what they're there to say. They're not there to do spin selling or ask uh, ask discovery questions and things like that. But they are there to 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 
give you the cachet uh, of, of being someone that deals with those senior executives. So certainly you can take, you, 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 especially if, I guess you asked a question earlier, how do you learn to do this? If you can get the meetings, but you're not that confident and you work well with your senior executive, you can go in and learn from them. I mean, a lot of what I learned yep. um, selling ERPs was sitting listening to my managing director who would do the presentation because he was the person that developed the system and he understood business really well and he talked about all the business issues. And I just learned about our customers' businesses by listening to him talk to them. That's really a great point too. And I think that a great one for people to sort of take to heart if they're listening to this is, yeah, if you're selling to bigger companies, you're selling to, you know, C-level, you're still uncertain. We talk about listening, learning, understanding. That's such a great way to do it. I mean, certainly at, at stages of my career when I was learning certain new things where that was invaluable to listen to like a company founder uh, go in and, and talk to a customer on an early call because you just you learned. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the values of bringing in senior level people more early in the process. And I've is that I've seen those with sellers is they they want to bring in C level person, but they haven't really they haven't convinced their people internally that they, the seller, really understand what the buyer's trying to accomplish. And so what happens, you get the situation where you bring your C-level exec in and they start asking questions that basically show the customer that, yeah, they don't really trust you <laughs> because they didn't think that you you, know, you understood these things or, or were able to communicate these things to them internally. And that can be hugely destructive. So as if you're going to use your C-level people, yeah, you got to be on top of your game. Yeah, you, you got to make sure that you can brief them appropriately and that you truly understand what's going on with that buyer. Absolutely. You've also got to control them, and I'll come back to that in a second. But but the, the problem is that um, part of it is this is the selection of customers. We you know we we, we don't understand our ideal customer profile that well, and I'd much rather focus on. A hundred well-selected customers where I know they're the right size, the right type of company, they're likely to have the problems. And then once I've gone through them, maybe move on to more. But I'd much rather do that than try and focus, if you can focus on a 1,000 customers or, or prospects or 2,000. I think you're much better off really tightening the criteria by which you choose your targets and then going for them and, get, and, and understanding them. Again, it depends upon what you sell, but to, to a large extent. And the other thing you've got to be careful of with senior executive, with taking your own senior executives in is they don't, they don't go rogue. You know, if you, do underst- if you do understand the customer, you have done your research, you've looked at their annual reports, you've, you've, you understand where they are and everything, and you've got a particular objective, you've got to be sure that, they, that, that your senior executive you know, doesn't go off in, and, and, and um, go in a totally different direction. You've got to brief them well, which means you've got to understand what you're doing, what the potential customer's doing. Yeah. And it's okay as, <laughs> as a seller is if you can't trust your senior people to not go rogue, then, yeah, either need to have some really heart-to-hearts with them, as I've done from time to time. <laughs> so, so have I. Or you just don't use them anymore. Um, because yeah, I've been in situations where I just couldn't trust the usual person that would come with me on calls. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to make do and learn how to yeah. do it myself. 
Yeah, I had a situation where we got a new president, an Asia-Pacific president in a company I worked for. We'd been taken over by a much bigger company, and this new guy came, and then he went to one of my customers without telling me and told them all this garbage. I said to him, you don't go into my bloody customers and scare them. Keep away from them. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't get on that well after that. Yeah, yeah. I had one of those ones, too. But he left before I did, so. Um, yeah, so let, let's – and we just have a few minutes left. But one of the questions or areas I wanted to get into – is about okay. Your seller, you're going to meet relatively early in your process with a C-level person, on a, you know, potential prospect. They're not qualified yet, but they may have some interest. Maybe the timing's right. About preparing for that that meeting and conducting that meeting because yeah, it can be sort of a make it or break it. If you really don't create a good first impression, if you seem superficial or you know, one of the 80% that C-level people don't find any value in, then that's a problem. So your best advice for how they prepare for that. Okay, preparation is most important. Um, Marcus Kalki reckons that you, know, you, should, you should prepare a minimum of four times as much for the meeting as the meeting length itself, but I think probably more. You need to understand what they care about, why they care about. You need to look at the, 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 the focus. You need to have a structure in advance. Uh, you need to have an agenda that you can agree with them so that you can go and you can say, okay, um, you know, this is what I'd, like to, what, what I'd like to achieve and this is what I believe we should talk about, point one, point two. Does that work for you as or anything else? You need to be sure you talk about the thing that got you the meeting because if you got a meeting based upon the fact that you're going to talk about X and Y, you have to talk about X and Y and not mm-hmm. P and Q, you have to um, – you have to have thought about the questions that they may ask you. You have to have thought about the questions that you're going to ask them, and they need to be intelligent questions, not what keeps you awake at night. Um, you need to that should be you know, banned from the face of the earth. That question, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you know, you, there's a, I've written entire articles on preparation, but basically, preparation is critical. You need to prepare the structure. You need to understand what they what they're trying to achieve from the meeting, what you're trying to achieve, what the next step is what tasks you'll give them because at the end of a successful meeting, you mm-hmm. should have something to do and so should they. So we haven't got time to discuss it now. We could do an entire podcast on preparing for a meeting like that. But Pete, it's criminal to get a meeting with a senior executive and flush it down the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have you come back and do that because I know in a few minutes you have to go for a walk with your wife. I do indeed. She's uh, <laughs> coming through the door now waving at me. So. <laughs> Well, we'll let you go. I mean, see, it's been fantastic. We'll definitely have you back. We'll talk about that, preparing for those meetings, because I think it, it is critical. Because there are various, I'd like to talk about in the context of the various meetings you have, right? There's that initial 10-minute meeting. That preparation for that is very different than what you might have for, you know, a mid-process meeting or something closer to the end. So, um, well, let's let's. I mean, the, you know, the, the the typical one is the final presentation to the capital expenditure committee, where there is a question of do we go ahead or not. That's a fairly critical meeting. Yeah, so we'll include that one too. Perfect. Well, Steve, thank you for much, very much. If people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? The easiest way is LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn name is Steve Hall Sydney, or one word. And I also have a couple of hashtags I use on LinkedIn, Steve Hall, Sydney, and Selling at Sea Level. So if you do a search on Steve Hall, Sydney, or Selling at Sea Level, you'll find me. And all my connection, all my contact details are there. And not Steve Hall, Hartlepool? (laughs) It's a bit too long. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure, and we'll look forward to doing it again soon. Okay, that's great, Andy. Thanks a lot. Take care.
Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Steve Hall for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good stuff, everyone.